Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Security Insider podcast. And today I have with us Emeritus Professor of Law at South Australia University, Professor Rick Saar. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Nice to be with you. Now, we are talking about some changes specifically to South Australia that happened back in 2016 around what was back then the old Surveillance Devices Act, um, and specifically how those those changes impact on licensed investigators in South Australia, what that looks like and what that might then translate to for other investigators and possibly other states if they choose to adopt similar legislation. So give us a bit of background on what's actually happened, Rick. Okay, by way of background, um, we go back some 50 years now, back to 1972, when the first listening devices legislation came into South Australia and there was a concern of the parliament that we didn't want you know, people snooping around placing these new fangled little recording devices, which were becoming very much a part and parcel of, uh, of investigations back then. And then we really had to wait some 30 something years before that extended into surveillance devices. And I was writing things at the turn of the century saying, this is ridiculous. We now have cameras, long-term cameras. We've got all sorts of surveillance devices, which are now optical. And finally, the parliament caught up in 2005 and expanded the legislation into surveillance devices. And then to its credit, in 2016, it bundled that 50 years of, of uh, surveillance into a new piece of legislation, the Surveillance Devices Act 2016 here in South Australia. And it really has been uh, quite um, refreshing to see that they've taken very seriously the role of investigation agents, um, security agents, to ensure that that what they are doing is within the law, but giving them a fair ambit, so long as they approach this um, sensibly and lawfully, um, I'm delighted to see that the legislation has expanded the ambit quite considerably to, uh, to enable investigation agents to get on with their jobs. And so I guess the key takeaway from what you just said then is it's, it's about licensed agents, people who've gone through the right courses, the due process and obtained a license to be allowed to work in the industry. Yes, they, I, I presume they don't have to be a member of an industry association. I've always maintained that is that is essential. And I say that not because I want to lazy your <laughs> podcast at the moment, but just because uh, I've always been maintaining that you're more likely to get government contracts and gold star contracts by virtue of being cleared by the association, the industry association as being someone who's worthy of having that membership. But no, uh, specifically in the legislation, it says that there are a whole range of uh, exceptions to the general blanket against listening devices, against surveillance devices. And I'm reading here from the legislation in section four, if the device is installed, used or maintained, uh, by a person who holds an investigation agent's license under the Security and Investigation Industry Act 1995. So it's basically saying that if what you are doing, mind you, you have to be working to protect your client's lawful interests. You can't just do it because you, you think someone's a good-looking person down the road, um, which, of course, would be illegal. But if what you are doing is, as a licensed agent, engaging in uh, bona fide work for someone whose lawful interests and lawful property needs to be protected, then you're given a very broad uh, defence against the general uh, prohibition against putting licenses, uh, putting listening devices and surveillance devices in place. So what sorts of protections does the new Act offer that weren't previously in existence? You know, what are some of the, the flaws or problems that this Act has addressed? Well, first and foremost, 
what it did, and I, you know, I'm, I suppose I'm looking more back at the, the earlier legislation, the 72 legislation, they're always talking about private conversations, that private conversations were going to be protected. And one of these, that's now been clarified. The legislation was always a bit vague about that. Private conversations, you begin with the proposition that they are private if you would expect a reasonable person to expect that they don't want them to be taped or, you know, or, or um, listened to um, by anyone who was uh, using a, a particular device. However, that has now expanded to say that if the person can be observed from a public place into that private space, then they're fair game. In other words, the only ones now who would actually satisfy that definition of, um, of private conversation would be in a private room with no windows and no doors. Um, although presumably if you did have uh, an authority to bug a room, you could do that. But the bottom line is that it used to say generally that if you thought that the conversation was going to be private, then you had to observe that privacy. But now if you've got a long lens camera or whatever, and you're in a public place looking into a private space, then that is now part of the, uh, part of the exemption. That's no longer a private conversation. That's an open slather com conversation. Or indeed, there's another part of the definition that says that if the person who's supposed to be having the private conversation reasonably infers that someone from a public place might be able to see them or hear them. So that has broadened. And the other thing that's been now very carefully uh, put into the legislation in a way that I'd love to see interpreted by the Supreme Court, hasn't happened yet, but I'd like to be, is this idea of public interest all the way through the legislation, certainly in relation to listening devices, certainly in relation to optical surveillance devices, there's this exception that if what you are doing, either observing, recording, or indeed communicating, is in the public interest, then that is exempted as well. Now, of course, one has to differentiate what is in the public interest and what is of the public interest. You, you and I might think it's interesting to hear what's going on with these two people having this assignation somewhere, that might be of public interest, but it's not in the public interest. I'd like to get some interpretations from the um, from the courts as to how that's going to be interpreted. But it does allow an investigation agent who is uh, engaging in putting a covert microphone on what otherwise might be inferred to be a private conversation to go to the media in relation to that uh, if they thought that was something that was about public health COVID-19, a breach of um, a dumping in terms of environmental law, those sorts of things. So there's a lot more scope in that regard, I'm pleased to say. And so just to clarify around this, does that then mean under this new legislation, um, and again, we reiterate, this is specific to South Australia, but this is stuff that may also in other instances uh, apply to states moving forward uh, or may already be enacted in some of those other states, but this is specifically about South Australia. But just to just to question that, so if I am using uh, an app that allows me to listen in on someone's phone calls on their mobile phone, that is actually under this act okay as long as that conversation is happening in a room that might be viewable from a public area. Yes, let me make it very clear because there's a distinction here. You can't tap into the phone conversation because then you're running into the whole idea of, of telephone surveillance, which does still require 
in fact, you can't do it, the police do it and they require a judicial warrant. That's actually listening into conversations where you are thousands of miles away, you know, tapping into a conversation. But if the person is talking into their phone and that conversation can be, well, you can't hear the other person responding, but you can certainly hear what the person is saying. If you are in a public place, you can observe, tape, leave communication out for the moment, but you can certainly preserve that conversation in some sort of digital form and give it back to your client. So long as what you're doing is in, in, in a public place, listening in on a private conversation. Now, that doesn't have to be in the public interest. That simply has to be if you are preserving the lawful interests of the person who's instructed you. So let me make that very clear. Yep. You're sitting outside my window um, in the street. You see that I'm on the phone. My window is open. It's obviously a private conversation this person's having. I stick a, a surveillance device in the tree uh, to observe the tree that actually is a public place, not on your front yard, but would actually be in the, uh, uh, in the laneway or the street outside the house. That picks up the conversation that you are having privately with someone. I can't hear the other person because I'm not tapping into the phone. That would have to go to a judge. But I can then take that and take it to my client. And so long as that's in protecting of what's, what's called their lawful interests, then, um, then that's, uh, that's acceptable. Now, again, I'd like to hear uh, from a judge every now and again just exactly how that plays out in terms of what those lawful interests are. Are those lawful interests... Is my wife cheating on me or yeah. in my lawful interest, is there a, a, a conversation going on about a contract that's going to engage with insider trading or something else? Then, then obviously that's going to be the lawful interest of the client. Just how far that goes down. Typically, lawful interest involves money. I must say that the law is always about money. If someone's going to lose money, then that's your lawful interest. If someone's going to lose their sweetheart, that might be a little harder to... Uh, to justify but generally speaking if you're getting paid as an investigation agent to engage in some degree of surveillance about what's happening within family matters then that typically i would thought uh, comes within the broad ambit of lawful interests right so again for the sake of clarification if i'm on a public uh area be it a park or the nature strip or whatever it may be i can use a directional microphone like a parabolic microphone or any sort of directional microphone to try and pick up that conversation but that doesn't extend to um, a, a bug that I may have hidden in that room and then stood across the street in the park recording it. I think that's a fairly safe assumption. Um, although we can go back, I, if you're talking now about a bug, um, I would say that generally speaking, that just goes back to that, those earlier uh, bits of legislation, the Listening Devices Act, that in fact you can plant a bug um, on instructions from your client. But again, you'd have to say, it's not about public interest here. In those circumstances, you have to say you're protecting your client's lawful interests. And uh, that would have to be a pretty high bar, I would have thought, because placing a bug in someone's office uh, would be, uh, would be uh, I won't say a bridge too far, but that's a lot higher than simply putting a directional mic in someone's direction where they're having a conversation in the park somewhere. You might remember um, more recently, and here's where I think it plays out, um, with the politician. Now, again, you've got me on the hop here. I can't think of his name, but the politician who was outed in Victoria uh, recently uh, in setting up, I think, some branch stacking, and all of a sudden he went down a screaming heap because of those revelations. That was a bug, and that indeed, I think, was a bug on behalf of the media 
and they were paying an investigation agent to do that work for them. Ultimately, we all saw it on television because that was actually very much in the public interest. So you'd be more likely um, to have a, a clean bill of health legally by, put, by putting a bug in someone's room if what you were doing was um, determining whether or not there was going to be some catastrophe uh, in relation to the environment or something was going to happen that was going to affect a lot of people. A private bug to work out whether or not someone was cheating on someone else, I'd have to go and ask the law interpretation on what protecting the lawful interest would be in those circumstances. So it's a bit of a sliding scale. Yeah. So given that a lot of this legislation is predicated around this idea of, you know, uh, being seen or witnessed from a public place, you, you may or may not be able to answer this question, but do drones throw an interesting curveball into this? Because, <laughs> you know, you could be on the 32nd floor of a building in the conference room and still be observed from a public place. My guess is that that is, uh, that's, that is a public place. The air is public. Um, and I would, I would imagine that in those circumstances, a drone would be acceptable. Um, in fact, I did some work on this when drones were first becoming available. Of course, they're now massively available because the cost has come down so dramatically. And uh, there were a number of cases where drones were flying over people's backyards, etc. And there was nothing the person could do. Um, there was, I'm just trying to think where I saw that more recently. Uh, where someone had actually sued the company that was operating the drone and the drone operator, and presumably the person who had asked the drone to go up there for uh, in, in what's called nuisance, uh, saying that if the drone was going to be hanging around for a period of time, then you could actually get a court order to get rid of it because after all, it was now becoming an annoyance. And that's still the case. But that's a very slow and, and, and long process to sue someone for nuisance. You want to get rid of that drone immediately. And uh, I was talking, I don't know what it was, I was talking to someone recently and they said they know the answer. You, you fire a, <laughs> a, a shotgun blast at it and then, of course, they're going to come at you and say, well, you ruined my drone and you say, well, you are ruining my privacy and it's going to go nowhere. So the answer to your question is, no, a drone is observed from, from a public place, if you can record that. Um, and if the person then destroys your drone, you probably don't have much of an argument because, after all, they were, uh, they were angry and you'd have a, an embarrassing court argument to go back and ask them to, uh, to compensate you for your, your, your downed drone. I think you'd then just have a, a problem with the police charging you with discharging a firearm in, a, <laughs> uh, in an unsafe manner. But, yes, uh, well, you'd, you'd need to have a firearms licence and you, you'd have to have some excuse saying you thought you were turkey shooting. That's right. Um, so I guess this brings into question some interesting considerations for corporations now, because we see all sorts of examples, um, one of which leaps to mind of a large bank who shall remain nameless, who have got one of their boardrooms sitting on the outside of the building right next to the walkway that crosses over into Darling Harbour in Sydney, where all and sundry can literally stand on the walkway and watch everything that goes on in their boardroom. Um, so if you happen to have a, a laser mic that picks up the reverberations off glass, I'm, I'm assuming under this legislation, if that situation were replicated in South Australia, you can legally stand there and listen to everything that's going on in that boardroom and record it and you're well within that act. So long as you are protecting the lawful interests. I think that's the thing too. It's, um, uh, yes, it's not placing a surveillance device. It's not placing a listening device. Um, you are observing, listening, observing, and recording. Um, and 
I suppose no one is going to be too upset about it unless you decide to release that to the media, in which case you have to claim uh, public interest. And I can't imagine hearing about a, uh, a boardroom of a bank uh, would be in the public interest at all, because after all, it's in the public interest to keep those negotiations and those discussions confidential. Unless you believed, and here we go again into the, cons the conspiracy theories, unless you believe that the decision was being made, for example, to blow up uh, you know, an Aboriginal uh, sacred site, in which case you had some reason to believe that there was going to be something that you wanted to hear. So let, let's put that scenario. You hear the bank is about to finance Rio Tinto, is about to blow something up. You put your laser beam or whatever it is that hears that conversation. Uh, you're not protecting anyone's lawful interests, but you are protecting the public interest in whether or not a particular sacred site is about to be obliterated. So that could easily be uh, be quite exempt under the South Australian legislation. I don't yeah. know about uh, what happens in other states, but that would be in, in the in the public interest to to make that happen. I'm uh, quite astonished that they would actually put that room there, bearing in mind that it does leave them open to the observance, uh, not just listening devices, but lip readers as well. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention everything you happen to write up on the whiteboard. But as we know, there have been instances uh, from the Banking Royal Commission where there have been discussions had around things like insurance policies that certain financial institutions were selling where they knew that there was no chance they were ever going to have to pay out on them. They were simply a money-making mechanism, and that may well be deemed as being in the public interest if it was found that a financial institution was purportedly uh, selling fraudulent financial products. But that's a whole different conversation. It is a different conversation, but it's an important conversation. The same thing with politics as well. I think anything to do with politics um, is in the public interest because it relates to the way in which our democracy is, is operating. And I tell this story on myself going back um, when I stood for office back in, uh, in 2010. I was, um, I was under uh, the Labor Party instructions to tell a particular line. It was actually to do with, with climate science. And um, the, uh, the Prime Minister, Julian Gillard at the time, was just ahead of the 2010 election, was taking a different view. And um, some people knew that, uh, journalists knew that, and they wanted to catch me doing that. And so at a public meeting, someone came up very close to me clutching a bag. And I thought that was a bit odd, but she asked me a question about the Gillard position on that. And I said, look, I respect the Prime Minister, um, and I'm, 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 I'm obviously in favour of this, and it's far better than the opposition. However, I would do this, 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 and this. And uh, about a half an hour later, I had a phone call from a journalist who played me that tape. I said it was illegal under the then 2005 <laughs> Surveillance Devices Act. They said, you should know it's in the public interest. And I knew I'd been gazumped. And so sure enough, I had no intention of that going public. I had 10 people around me at the time. But I knew that was in the public interest because it's in the public interest to know whether or not all the candidates are on board in relational policy. So... I do come back to this point, John, right at the outset, that a healthy democracy does allow people to engage in this sort of behaviour in order to make transparent those sorts of decisions. What the legislation is trying to do, of course, in the other direction is to not have a situation where you and I are bugging everyone else just because we want to know what's going on. Governments are bugging us. Uh, investigation agents are bugging us. So we're all under surveillance, that kind of 1984 horror situation or handmaid's tale situation of a dystopian society where everyone knows what everyone else is doing. And the legislation is trying to drive a line 
halfway through that, we do not want a position where everyone is being observed all the time. That'd be a horrid democracy in which we want to live. By the same token, if things are happening in relation to the environment, climate science, the economy, banking, financial institutions, aged care, uh, young people, domestic violence, those are the sorts of things that are far less likely to occur if people know they're being observed. And I'm saying this legislation, by putting uh, the public interest, however defined, and it will be further defined by the legislation as a broad exemption, I think is a good way of going. And also making sure that when people who do have the power to put those in, those bugs, those, those um, uh, surveillance devices, optical surveillance devices, listening devices, and if they are authorised by virtue of their having a licence, they've gone through the fit and proper person, et cetera, they're given a lot more sway in these debates than your private citizens. And to that extent, I think the legislation is good. I should also say there is no such exemptions in relation to GPS tracking. It says you can do it, but you've got to really have um, either police authority or judicial authority, unless you are simply trying to get your GPS tracker back again. That's a funny yeah. exemption. And it doesn't apply to, to metadata retention, which, of course, has its own legislation about looking at the way in which data retention and data is being observed. That's a whole different kettle of fish under the metadata uh, retention laws. But insofar as we're talking about optical devices and <coughs> listening devices, it does give a lot more power to people who wish to observe, so long as they're protecting someone's lawful interests or so long as they're protecting the public interest. Okay. And so if people wanted to know more about this, where might they go? I, I'd really put that back in your hands, John. I'm presuming that ACO has probably got some, um, some guidelines. Um, I'm really only going on my copy of the legislation. You can get a copy, or anyone can get a copy of the Surveillance Devices Act. And it's pretty well set out. We, we went back well, 30, 40 years ago and passed legislation on what's called plain wording legislation, all that other nonsense that you had to wade through back in the 40s, 50s and 60s is gone. When you actually read a piece of legislation now, it's a lot simpler. And that's the whole point of democracy. If you've got a law, you need to know how to interpret it. You don't have to go to a lawyer to interpret it for, for you. So your simple answer is what do you do? You get a copy of the Act. It's pretty straightforward. We go through the exemptions. But as I say, the Act's only been around five years. And as far as I know, I haven't seen anyone who's come a cropper with it, either legally in terms of the criminal law or the civil law or tried to communicate something, or the media has tried to put something on air which they received from someone through an anonymous source and then suddenly come a cropper in relation to someone not wanting that to go ahead. We need three or four big Supreme Court cases here in South Australia to go into this whole notion of what's in the public interest, what's a private conversation, um, et cetera. And I think, It'll, when that starts occurring, the commentary that otherwise you'd hear from me and other people will stop being speculative and we can actually go to the case and say, here's what this actually means. Uh, legislations, if it's only been around for five years, that's less likely to occur. Give it a few more years. Or, John, if I can encourage uh, anyone who's out there to actually launch proceedings if they feel that they've been hard done by in South Australia and take it to the Supreme Court. Perhaps with ASIO's financial backing, but wait and see. Yeah, well, we, we, I, that, that might be a long bow to draw, but we'll <laughs> see how that goes. Look, Rick, thank you very much for your time on the podcast today. Uh, I should remind anyone listening to this that you know anything you've heard on the podcast should be taken as advice only and uh, and not legal, actual, um, I suppose, what would we call it, legal 
recourse. Uh, you need to go out and seek your own legal advice. And that obviously it's different in each state and territory. What applies in South Australia may not be the case in Victoria or New South Wales. Rick, thanks again for being on the podcast. My pleasure, John. And yes, you're quite right. Every every situation is going to be different. There's always nuances in relation to the facts. And uh, if, if anyone were to uh, have a a case that is coming up and it does look like it's going to be going through the courts uh, or has gone through the courts, I'd be delighted to hear about that particular case. Yep. And if you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, there are plenty of others in the uh, AZL series. You can find them on Blurberry, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, the Android Store and all the other great places you find podcasts. Thank you.